Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,445. I have a very hard time just looking back and saying that was a failure. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier Plush and Berber Custom Floor Mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Market Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, have two cars, or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SEM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSYEAH and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. I'm Mark Green, and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I cannot tell you how revved up I am and excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from beautiful Torrance, California, Tony Callis. Tony, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready. I did not bring my Hans with me, but I'm buckled up. Don't worry. I'll keep it on the track today. I'll try to stay out of the ditch. Tony Callis is the owner and CEO of Callis Rensport in Torrance, California. He is also the technical director for the Porsche Club of America. Callis Rensport, in addition to service work, restores classic collector cars, including vintage Porsche 911s, 914s, and 356s and is one of two premier shops in the country that services the mighty Porsche 959. Tony grew up in his father's shop, Rensport Porsche Works in Texas, and was servicing Porsches at the young age of 10 years old. Rebuilt his first, first engine at, he rebuilt his first engine at age 16, and at 18 went to work at the Porsche factory school and started working in racing. He's worked for Rook Racing, Cycle Motorsports, Champion Racing, Roar Motorsports, Riser Callis Rensport, Peterson White Lightning, and earned wins at the 24-hour of Daytona and Le Mans, where Tony was Mechanic of the Year for Porsche. Tony, I have told our listeners just a little tiny bit about your incredible career. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more before I jump into the questions about your business and, of course, the very obvious passion you have for automobiles and Porsches just like me? Absolutely. I'll never forget when I was a young age, uh, 
somebody came up to me and they said, do you realize, and I mean, a young age, it wasn't that young, probably 15 or so. And they said that Porsche is a special car. And, you know, I always loved Porsches and I knew they were special, but I didn't realize they were a, a high value car. They were an expensive car. And at that time I realized that um, maybe there's something to these because my father raised me to just think of Porsches as being what we work on. This is what we do. The people are eccentric. And um, at Calus Rensport, that's what we we do. We take care of the people also. It's not just about those cars. It's about the people. And we want it to be a human experience. And uh, we do everything on all Porsches. I tell people that I think it's important that we stay sharp. And we do it the way that the Porsche factory would want you to do it, where you service every one of them. Yeah, well, if anybody would know what that is, it would be Tony Callis. That's for sure. Your history is absolutely incredible. And as you know me, I'm a Porsche fanatic. I've been my whole life. That's my mark of choice. So I just wish you were closer to me so you could work on my car. But uh, it's a little bit of a drive all the way down there to Torrance from Gig Harbor. But I love what you're doing. Everyone I know that knows you speaks highly of you. So that's why I finally, and I'll let our listeners know, I've been chasing Tony for some time now. He's been very patient with me. And uh, we finally got him. So I don't give up. I don't give up. So I'm very happy to have you here today. As we continue on your journey, though, I want to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires smoking here on Cars. Yeah. So, Tony, I know you love to drive. So grab the wheel. Well, thank you. Nowadays, so it depends on what period of time we're talking about, because there's really two I've lived my life pretty much by the saying that it's easier to be a victim than a failure. So a lot of people have a tendency to just go, well, it's because it came in that way or somebody else broke it or or it's so easy for them to deflect the the real issue. And to me, I think you need to own your mistakes. You need to own what you've really done. And sometimes just sit there and listen. And then when I was really young, that that's where that kind of came to me. Now, with the day and age, I like to say everybody knows the price of everything and the value of nothing because they everybody looks up the prices of parts and they go, hey, I can, I can bring this part in. I can buy this at a quarter cost. And I ask them, would you really take that steak into your favorite restaurant and ask them to cook it? So those are the two things that I go off of. <laughs> you know, I, I'm laughing, but I know it's not a laughing matter because this is, is a problem. And a good example of this would be, you know, people going in to buy cars and they walk in. It's a whole different thing now. And I know the consumer is a little more educated, but they'll walk in and say, well, I can buy this car for this price down the street. And you don't want to let them leave. But at the same time, well, OK, go try. I mean, everybody has their price. But the other problem is parts these days. I mean, there's some bad parts out there, right? I mean, there's parts that people think, oh, well, this is as good as that. Uh, finds out maybe it's made in China or somewhere else other than made in Germany under Porsche specifications and engineering. And certainly you wouldn't want to put that kind of part on your car. So I understand those sayings and I think they're great. The one about taking responsibility, uh, oh, that strikes uh, close to my heart too. I think that's super important is own up to what you're doing and just face it. And uh, as I say, swallow that frog. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, move forward, if you will. So great quotes to have. I like those. But I like the analogy of taking that steak into the restaurant. Here, cook this for me. Uh, I don't want to pay your high prices. Well, why don't you just go cook that at your own house, okay? <laughs> so very exactly. nicely said. Yeah. 
How about a story that instigated this passion you have for cars? Now, you grew up in a family around cars, so it was almost predestined that you were going to be around these wonderful automobiles. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that, like your dad, you know what, I'm a car guy? This is a, the, a, a number of these questions were difficult for me. And well, well good. I don't want them to be easy. That's boring. <laughs> well, and, they, and they're definitely not easy, if, depending on if you really put some thought into them. And I realized that when I look, when I look back, and uh, when I was 12, you're going to laugh at this, when I was 12 years old, uh, around the fifth grade, so however you are, uh, over old, 11, 12 years old, and I was in my closet. I had a little, I, I spent a lot of time in my own head and in my own space doing things. I didn't speak to a lot of people. Not that I uh, didn't care to. I just, I was super shy. And so I was building models, charging kids in school to do that. And I was a perfectionist, even at a young age. But now, now, wait a minute. You were, you were charging kids to build models at, in fifth grade, fourth grade. I mean, that's pretty cool. There's the sign of an entrepreneur to be. Yeah, I love well, it. That's where this yeah. is going. So I was sitting in my closet and I realized, I looked at my father. He had opened his own Porsche shop in 1970. So I was uh, seven years old. And uh, I watched him. And, you know, as a kid, you have no idea of age or time. And so I looked at my father's age and I looked at what he did. And I made a goal right then when I was 11 or 12 to own my own business by the time I was 29, uh, 30, actually. And I didn't know where I would be. I just that was my goal at the time. And yeah. I never let it go. You know, this is an awesome story. And, and I think this is it's true to my heart, Tony, because my father worked for himself his whole life. He was an architect. And I saw how hard he worked. And I'm boy, he worked hard. You know, he was always at the office and the weekends. He worked every weekend. He would let me come in. I kind of got to clean his office and uh, do some special drawings. And I get on a drafting table and he'd teach me how to draw things and stuff. To me, it was exciting. I'm sure for him, it was like, well, gosh, you know, I need to spend some time with my child here, but I've got a business to run. And uh, he got me to do it. But I love your entrepreneur niche because. I did a lot of the same things. I used to build bicycles for kids when I was young. I used to do custom painting of bicycles for kids, and I started a detailing business. I think it just kind of runs in your blood when you see your parents, and I'm sure your dad worked very hard, long, long hours to build what he built. Um, you just kind of grow up thinking, well, that's the way life is, right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly the way it went. And my father is uh, Greek, and my mother's German. My mother was a war baby, and they both taught me how important it is to live in a free country, to work hard, and to be able to make something of yourself. Yeah, it, it's it's really a wonderful lesson to teach a young person. And I remember my father telling me, no matter who I worked for, and I worked for other people until I started what I'm doing now, but he always said, treat every job and every place you work as if you own that business, mm -hmm. meaning do what the owner would do. Get there early. Don't clock out at five. If you're walking down the hall and there's some trash in the corner, don't expect the guy who's supposed to be picking up the trash the end of the day to do it. Stop and pick it up. We, I mean, would you leave a piece of trash laying on your living room floor? Maybe some people would, but you know what I mean. And I think that it instills that mindset in you. And I'm sure your dad gave you that, right? That valuable lesson? Well, he did. And a little beyond what was necessary. My father was such a perfectionist. And working on Porsches and then racing Porsches. And he hung around Peter Gregg back in the Camel GT days in, oh, the, wow. in the mid seventies. Yeah. And yeah. they were all the same back then. Those guys were perfectionists and they lived their lives that way. Yeah. Well, you have to, when you're on a track, mm -hmm. you can't go out in a car that's been half done. Uh, as they say, most races are won before you get to the track. 
Correct. Uh, in preparation. So, well, wonderful lessons your father taught you. I love this story about the model cars. I built some for people and sold them too. I'm just sitting here smiling, thinking back <laughs> uh, how much fun that was. Well, let's take a look at some of these roads you've driven around because you've chosen a career that is fraught with some challenges involved in racing. Uh, man, talk about racing. You're a champion one week and a chump the next, right? So let's talk about a big challenge or even a big failure you faced along the way. More importantly, though, as you walk us through that, what was the lesson and how did you get out of that experience moving forward in a positive way? This is interesting because I don't want to sound like a um, a person that doesn't look at my failure, but honestly, I have a very hard time just looking back and saying that was a failure. To me, is that because you've redefined the word? <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely, <laughs> and I like what you were saying. You can de- you can easily go from hero to zero, uh, and, and you're only as good as your last race in racing and your last yeah. lap. And but as far as me as and where I've come from. I've had two really huge challenges in my life. And being as shy, as, as painfully shy as I was as a kid, everything was a, a challenge. But driving to California is one of them. And then opening a shop was the next one or opening a business. And driving to California, I looked at everybody. Look, you got to put this into perspective. I was in a 1,300-person town in Texas back in the late 70s. And I just said, I'm going to move to California. And everybody laughed at me and they said, you're crazy. And a lot of people later on told me they just, they didn't bet against me, but they didn't think I was going to make it. And I re- I bought a convertible Beetle uh, that I'd been driving. I rebuilt the engine. I, re- I welded a tow hitch on it um, from underneath. And I, I brought a U-Haul with my tools. And I said to everybody, my mother's like, where are you going to go? And I said, oh, well, I guess I'll go to Sandy. I'm going to the water. And, and no I know water. that sounds crazy because I was surfing <laughs> yeah. in, in Houston. I would drive an hour to the water. And yeah. she goes, my German mother goes, as long as you don't go to Los Angeles, you don't get shot. And I was oh, like, yeah, I didn't care. It was either San Diego, Los Angeles, San, San Francisco. And I just figured I'll get on the 10. And then when I, since now I have to veer off on the eight down to San Diego. And I did that. It took me days in a bug. Uh, there's no air conditioning. There's barely a radio. Well, I was going to say in a bug convertible towing a trailer. Yeah, you <laughs> you you weren't going that fast. No, you're a lot definitely of time to not. think about this. <laughs> it, it's uh, as a young man. Um, this was in '84, and so I would have been 21. And the car died in the middle of the desert in the middle of the night. I thought something was going to eat me, and I started crying. And I'm just like praying, praying, and it finally started. And I got into uh, San Diego, into Ocean Beach. I literally, I'm being such an absolutist, but I drove until the road ended. It rode, the road ended at the water. I had to see the water. Yeah, I know exactly. I, <laughs> I grew up in San Diego. I know exactly where you ended up. Yeah, because if you, if you stay on eight until it ends and then you just keep going, you're in Ocean Beach. Yeah, and you're in Sunset Cliffs. You're, yeah, yeah you're Sunset at, Cliffs. Yeah, Sunset Cliffs. And I said, I can't live here. This is too expensive. So it's about 1 a.m. in the morning and I'm in Ocean Beach and I look around and I said, okay, I'll live here. And I went back to Hotel Circle. I lived there for three days, got a job in, in El Cajon at a bug shop called Area Wide Motors. And it's it, there's more to the story, but there you go. And so to me, getting in a car and going, okay, is this the right thing to do? And I'll never forget a friend of mine, Bill Schneider. I worked at a dealership in 1980 saying, Tony you've got to stop thinking of everybody else and you've got to do this for yourself. Because I couldn't decide whether I really wanted could do this. And he goes, you can do this. And you know what? He, that was the best advice ever. And then later, the same thing happened when I was going to leave a perfectly good job 
and open a business when, and I don't want to be negative, but I kind of looked at it like, I've got to trust the fake flaky public here. And that's what I called it because you never know. The flaky public. Well, they wouldn't show up and they would have an appointment, they would be busy. And so I realized when I left that job that I was going to be counting on everybody else to make, to make money. Somehow one thing led to the other, but those were two, my two hugest challenges. Now as a failure, I guess I rebuilt recently uh, an 08 Boxster motor that blew up and we learn from these things and I invent tools from them. And when you become an innovator, that's when things, when, when things uh, really ramp up and, and that was a failure, but I don't consider that a failure, Mark. I consider that a very good learning experience. Of course. And, and that's what I meant when you re adjust the meaning of the word. I, I think it's great. I, I had a guest on my show a few years ago, a woman who said, my uh, New Year's resolution is to make 100 mistakes a year. Wow. 100 failures. And you think, wow. I mean, at first you go, well, why would you do that? Well, then you know why. I mean, she's this because she's pushing herself 100 times. I'm going to push myself to fail. Kind of like parts, I would guess. You know, you think about Porsche building race cars or street yes. cars. They engineer and push their parts in testing until they break. So That's they right. know how far they'll go. Now, sometimes they don't do the best jobs or maybe their suppliers don't. And you get things like, uh, uh, remember my 1991 having a uh, failure. Um, oh, what was that part? The, fly, uh, was, the flywheel? Yeah, flywheel. Yeah, there you go. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, very frustrating. But, you know, uh, yeah, dual mass flywheel. Yeah, there you go. That was an expensive one. So, uh, well, you know, this is great. And it shows a testament to your spirit and who you are and what you believed in, uh, I really commend entrepreneurs that do these things. I mean, get in a car and drive to the coast. Um, and then when you get there, not have any plans other than, I got to figure out how to make this work. And you did. And look where you ended up today. So kudos to you for what you pulled off there. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm excited that you were there in 84. That's the year I got married. Very near where you ended up there is where we were having our... Um, wedding reception there down in San Diego Harbor, but uh, grew up in San Diego. Great place. Nice city. Really fun. So uh, there you go. Well, let's have a little more fun and talk about your first really special vehicle. Was there a car in your life that when you got it, you'd really been working hard, you've been thinking about it, you finally went, yeah, got it. Here I am. Um, There have been a lot of cars and my father having a Porsche shop, he had a 68 911 L and he points over and he goes, drive that. Well, the car had some issues. It was really rusted out. And I'll never forget, he, he came home with a, uh, a turquoise B210. And this car had hood pins in it. And I don't mean to be... I don't hood mean, pins? Yeah. You mean like a like race a, car? Yes, yes, yes. And oh, I don't, okay. <laughs> I don't mean to sound stuck up or like I'm too good, but I'm like, Dad, really? I mean, so him and I went to the dealer in uh, 1979, and he... And he helped me get a 1980 Trans Am. And that was really my official first car. And that, that was a neat car. And I did all kinds of stuff with that car. And, you know, there's, there's so little technology in those. But it, it, it had its share of issues. But I got to tell you, of the two special things in my life with cars, I'd have to say a motorcycle because it gave me freedom. And when I was... 14 my dad bought me a motorcycle my mother was just losing it and when (laughs) we moved (laughs) moms will do that when it comes to motorcycles (laughs) so we moved out to the country sealy it's about 60 miles outside of uh, sealy texas it's 60 miles outside of houston and then we lived another 10 miles out in the in the country and i thought 
that my life had ended. And um, at this point, my mother's like, okay, you can ride the motorcycle, but you can't take the highway, the little the little two-lane highway into Sealy to go to school. You've got to take the long route, which is way on this. It was all dirt road. And she had, if she would have only known, well, because I didn't have a driver's license at, at, at 15, uh, 14 and a half. And, uh, but that gave me freedom to get out and go venture and see people and see things and stop the bike and look back and, and look at the road. And then I have to pick that Volkswagen bug that I ventured from there to, uh, to, well, to San Diego in because, um, you trust those those vehicles. You trust those things to get you somewhere in the middle of the desert and through the across the country. Oh, yeah. So those yeah. two were those were my yeah. special ones. I had a '67 Gia in high school that I bought and then ripped it all apart and rebuilt it and beefed up the motor and all this stuff, painted it and did all these things. And that car I drove everywhere. I, I drive it up multiple times from San Diego to Mammoth Mountain, which is a good eight hour drive. Uh, it was wonderful in the snow. It was just a great car. It had surf racks on it because I was a surfer growing up in San Diego, and uh, it was fun. But what was that? What kind of motorcycle was that you had? It was a Yamaha 360. It was a, oh, okay. a low horsepower bike. I did all kinds of crazy tricks with it and everything. Hey, was <laughs> that, that like- your red? <laughs> was that your red Carmen Gia that I saw in a picture? Uh, it was the car you I posted on Facebook. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, well, you must be following me, which I pre, I know you are, but I appreciate I that. Yeah. That car, I bought it in Point Loma in high school. My mom drove me over. She, uh, she helped, uh, she loaned me a little bit of money for that car. And I hadn't driven a stick shift up until then. I'd driven, ridden motorcycles. So I kind of got the idea of a clutch, but I hadn't driven a car. And we bought the car. I bought the car for 1100 bucks. And then the guy selling it drove me around. And then my mom said, I'll see you at home. And I said, well, wait a minute. I've, I've never driven a stick shift. Wow. And the guy said, well, you better figure it out, kiddo. And my mom mm-hmm. left. And so he gave me a lesson around the street. And so I had to drive it back from Point Loma to La Jolla. Oh my I God. stalled it in every intersection. I just, by the time I got home, I was dripping sweat with freaking <laughs> out. But I made it. You know, I'm sure the clutch was smelling really bad by the time I got home. But those things are so robust. But that car, I ripped apart. My friend Bobby helped me. And we painted it a mixture of Porsche Guards Red and Porsche Tangerine. <laughs> and, or no, Blood Orange. I think they're two different colors. Kind of an orangey color. And the car was a really vibrant orangey red color. Um, yeah, that was a great car. Love that car. But thanks for noticing that. Yeah, I just I just came across a picture of it this weekend. I was looking for some old pictures from my daughter. She's getting married. And she was looking for some old pictures, and I came across that picture, and I didn't even know I had it. And I went, ah, look at that. So, uh, nice spot. How about Seller's Remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've let go that you really wish you had back, if you could pick just one? You know, this is interesting, because I am not good at selling vehicles. I've kept most of the cars. I've had a Carmen Ghia, similar to yours. I've had a number of buses. Uh, seller's remorse, only one that I can think of. Um, it was in the way it was in the driveway and it was a Fiat Dino coupe, um, Ooh. early seventies oh. and yeah. uh, it, it needed work <laughs> and the engine needed work. And I had picked it up from a, a guy that did body work for me and he, it had sat in his place forever. And a guy out of Europe bought the car, a collector bought the car. But I think of all cars that would have been super neat to have. Cause if you've looked at them, the dashboard is just so Italian. And the first Porsche that I bought on my own was a 69 912. And that would be in there also, as far as the coolest car that my, my first one, as far as owning a Porsche that my parents didn't buy or didn't own. And then that Fiat Dino coupe of selling it. Yeah. 
Well, nice cars for sure. I had a client when I was detailing cars in high school who had a Dino, which they shared the same motor, I believe, the 2.4 mm-hmm. liter. Yeah, Correct. same motor. And that car, he used to, I used to ride my bike down to his house, Sam Salemi. I'll never forget his name. Really mm. funny guy. He was an attorney. <laughs> I'd ride my bike over to his house and he'd let me drive that Dino back to my house. And I would always drive it up over the top of Mount Soledad down uh, the windy road there, uh, Hillside mm. Drive. Uh, thought I'd die and gone to heaven. <laughs> I love that car. Always wanted one of those. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Callus Rensport. I'd love for you to share more. This is a time to really pitch your business. Talk about what has you excited or fired up about what you guys are doing. And, and if you want to, look into the new year, some of the things and projects that you might have going on. Uh, thank you. There's been so many special race cars, 935s. I, I can't even start to tell you, but there are cars that really become part of you when you build them. One of my friends, Mike, he had us build a, a 914 and he goes, I want you to find a, a 914. And so we bought one for, well, he bought one for $4,000 and then he ended up putting a couple hundred grand into it. But Ooh, ouch. The, the, I think <laughs> looking that's back. Ha- that's called passion. <laughs> crazy passion. Um, he, he's, <laughs> he he really, and he, he had the, like an artist, he had everything set of what he wanted to do and he still drives that car um he drives it daily so but of all the cars i would have to say through the shop one of the most important two of the most important cars we've ever had um it took me seven years to restore our number one 911 r number one there were 20 of those built in 1967 porsche's first 911 race car they made it as light as they could and we did we i restored our number one and um it's uh, eggshell white with red stripes on it. There's a lot of uh, a lot of history to that. A lot. Uh, I, I could go way long on it. And as far as telling you things, and then now we're doing our number nineteen. And oh, again, really? Yes, Another one? Yes, yes, yes. And um, it really, it's an honor. And it's the whole Rolex thing, saying you know, where mm-hmm. you never really own this, and these aren't my cars. Uh, you never really own it. You're just passing it on to the next person, so you take care of it. Uh, well, or however they said it. But those are the two, to me, okay, we service 33 959s, but these R's to me are the epitome of the 911, the beginning of the racing for Porsche and the 911. And yeah. um, I'd have to say those. Yeah, well, no kidding. And you work on pretty much any Porsche in your shop, right? From daily drivers or just, do you just work on old vintage cars? Um, no, I, I almost don't tell people about the 959s and the R's and and the, the expensive cars, because I don't want them to feel they can't bring their Boxster in for an oil service uh, or their 914.4. I want to still maintain that ethos that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd encourage our listeners, I'll make sure I put a link to his website, callusrensport.com. Check it out. Uh, cool stuff. If you own a Porsche and you're in the Los Angeles area or your car is going to be there, I think this is a shop you need to check out. Like I said, I wish you were closer to me. But you're a long drive, so I don't think I'm going to be able to bring my turbo into you anytime soon. I'm sorry for that, but uh, that's okay. I got Pete down here. He takes good care of me, so uh, uh, that's okay. Yeah, Callus Rensport, great company. Tony, up next is the last lap before we put the pedal to the metal. Let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors that make this show possible. 
When you want proven performance, there's one brand that's been around since 1938. That's Edelbrock, building the finest American-made performance products for the street and track. Edelbrock's products are designed and dyno-proven to deliver maximum results. Edelbrock has thousands of made-in-the-USA performance products for all makes and models. From their new AVS2 carburetor and innovative ProFlow 4 EFI for your muscle car or truck. To superchargers for your daily driver and more, visit edelbrock.com to check out the latest products for your ride and when you're ready to check out enter cars yeah in the coupon code and get 10 percent off your order that's edelbrock automotive performance since 1938 you take care of your cars but who takes care of your investments tune-ups aren't just for engines updating your financial plan is important too your gps may take you from a to b but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimball.com. Or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. All right, Tony, we are back and I have a bit of an introspective question. I'm going to get into your head a little bit here. If you woke up tomorrow and you were a car in your shop, not what you want to be, but how you perceive yourself as a vehicle, what would Tony Callis be and why? Okay, so this is going to really throw a lot of people off because All right, I, I gave this so much thought. And I love utilitarian. I love green, being green for the environment. I love something that can adapt, that can be great on the street and great out in the, out in the woods. And, uh, but I need a flat engine, so people are going to shoot me, but I like Subaru. <laughs> oh, no problem with a Subaru. That's cool. <laughs> That's okay. You know, yeah, you talk about, a, you know, I tell you, I had uh, Henry Reisner of Rent Auto Mechanica. Sorry. He's also involved in a, a new uh, electromechanica company. They're building electric cars in China, but he builds those replica speedsters and uh, poops, some really nice cars. I've had the pleasure of driving on tours in his cars, and he puts Subaru engines in many of his cars. Very robust engine, lots of power. It fits nicely back there. Yeah, nothing wrong with that, but I get that. Yeah, I might regret. I might regret. Well, that. yeah, you're going to hear some from somebody, I'm sure. But uh, be nice to Tony, okay? You guys, be nice to Tony. He's a good guy. All right, we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and I'm going to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. Actually, you're going to give those answers. I'm going to ask the questions. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Okay, so this goes back to when I worked at my first job at a Porsche dealership. Now, this was not saying Porsche dealers are this way. Just full disclosure, okay? 
I worked in the used car department because they didn't trust me as a 17 year old to work on new Porsches, which I think is so, but they, but it isn't when they give you these used cars to work on. And one was a Cadillac Eldorado and it was making noise in the valve train and they had me shim it up with, you know, aluminum from a, a Coke can. And, and I realized at that <laughs> point that a used car can be, it can be a terrible purchase. So you have to be careful what you buy. So mine is to say, get a PPI, get a pre-purchase inspection on whatever you buy, because you never know what you're, I mean, and I can't tell you everything wrong with the car. I don't have an x-ray machine, but at least if you have history of records, that's my best, my, that's my advice I can give you. No, they're great. Uh, pre-purchase inspection, PPIs are so valuable, especially these days. So many people buy cars that are far away um, online and everything looks good in a picture. I mean, it's, you realize why those Playboy Playmates always look so great <laughs> back in the day. Uh, there's a lot of doctoring going on, I think. And uh, that can happen in pictures with cars. So yeah, fine. You know, the great thing too is if you're part of the Porsche club and you want to buy a Porsche and you found a car in another city, I guarantee you, you reach out and say, hey, can somebody go look at this for me? You'll have guys clamoring to go look at a car for you. I've done that before. It's been a great deal. Uh, happened with the car I have now. Somebody went and took a peek at it. I uh, said, yeah, this is a good car. You should buy it. Um, I've seen many I thought I was going to buy. People say, run away, <laughs> run away. Because, you know, we all get that red mist and we think we want something. <laughs> we start to see what we think we see. And sometimes that's not the truth. I have many friends who call me. They call me the doctor. They'll call me on the phone or they'll text me and say, is the doctor in? That's code for, I'm thinking about buying a car. Talk me out of it. The doctor is Very always good. in f for everybody here. How about a personal habit that you believe is, contributed to your many successes over the years? Well, I've always been this way and people have laughed at me that uh, have hung around me, but I believe it is to, well, a therapist once told me to stay current, take care of things when they need to be done. But basically being a perfectionist, you, <laughs> this may not make sense, but I clean up a hotel room before I leave. I don't mean I go through it with Windex, but I mean, I, I throw stuff in the trash can and I make sure that I, I leave a little tip and and same with our maid when she comes to the house. I like to make sure that I'm doing my part. It doesn't, you don't need to be lazy. And I think laziness is what's going to really get to a lot of people. So the personal habits that I believe are staying current, you know, and you can go back as and saying brushing your teeth and taking shower, but staying current means doing what you need to do to be right to yourself. And, and I treat other people the way I want to be treated and making sure I don't just leave a mess just because of that. Now, if you do, that's your deal. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but that's what I live by. Well, you sound like me. I do the same thing, and I kind of laugh at myself sometimes when I leave a hotel. <laughs> I mean, you know, I pull the sheets. I I don't make the bed super well, but I pull the sheets up. I put the pillows back. I make it look nice. I throw all the trash away. I put the ch push the chair in. I mean, these are things your parents teach you yeah, that yeah. I think a lot of people aren't ever taught. They're just good ways to be a good person, but the more importantly, the other thing you said there is about being present. I think we go much deeper and probably a lot longer than we can or we have time to today, but being in the moment, being present with yourself uh, is a way to kind of calm yourself versus we're always thinking ahead and, you know, your brain's going a thousand miles an hour. Maybe that's why I woke up at four this morning with my brain going a thousand <laughs> miles an hour. And I finally went, why am I laying here? I got stuff to do. I'm just going to get up. Uh, yeah, try to be present. Uh, you'll be a lot calmer, a lot happier, and uh, definitely don't live in the past. How about a resource? Is there one in particular that you think our listeners would enjoy? I do. So when I quit racing, really between 07 and 09, that always takes a while. 
I don't get, and, and honestly, I don't watch racing on TV. It's too difficult for me. I do enjoy some movies, but I decided I had to do something. So I started writing for magazines. So I, I wrote for Excellence. I, I write for Triple Zero. Pete's a great guy. And I also started teaching. And I am in, in love with teaching. And I've been teaching now for about 13 years. What I'm seeing is that the independent aftermarket is having such a difficult time, the Porsche independent aftermarket, because the information is not there. You know, there were no workshop manuals after 05. There are no paper manuals after 05. And so it's very difficult to get information. Regardless, what I started was a website called Porsche Technical Assistance. It's on a Yahoo forum. It's very difficult to operate with. But what we have is about a, a close to 200 shops that all work together. And let me explain why this is difficult. My father taught me that we are ourselves, basically we're an island and we don't help anybody and we don't talk to anybody. And that absolutely is not the way to work on cars nowadays. The cars are so complicated and so technically advanced that you have to work with other people. They don't have to be next door, but we all work together and we help each other figure these problems out with these cars. Yeah. And you know, is that, is that a website, PorscheTechnicalAssistance.com? No, I tell people, no, there is no website. It's an email forum on Yahoo Groups, and it's called Porsche Technical Assistance just for mechanics. And and there are some enthusiasts like yourself, Mark, that are advanced enough to where I, I like them to be on there. They add uh, they add uh, to the to the mix. And um, and I also say, hey, if you don't know, don't answer the question and you've got to have a signature line. But no, it's an email forum. They email me to rensport at msn.com. And I will add them or not. And that's what we do. Most of the time, it's shops and techs. There you go. Love it. Now, if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? You know, it would have to be between Ferdinand Porsche and or, or Henry Ford because of how much they've done to for our industry. And I know both of them have had, you know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding one or both of them because of their their times back uh, anti-semitic or or whatnot but you know i'm not sleeping with them and i would tell them how i felt if that was the case but man what they've accomplished or what they did accomplish and what they did for people and to me it was everything so we, we would have yeah. to be one of those two yeah maybe get them both at a table that'd be very <laughs> interesting for sure is there a book you've read that you'd like to share oh my god so i'm such a book freak and in fact, I just bought Unsafe at Any Speed by Ralph Nader. I haven't read it yet, but one of them would have to be Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, because when I look at a car, I sum up a car so quickly right away. And of course, I try to back it with looking at it and coming up with facts. But Blink is a really good one. And it talks about just how do your, your intuition about something. And then Smokey Eunuch, his best, best damn garage is his book. He's now passed. I met him at one time. He To me, he started stock car racing by running alcohol, you know, running uh, booze and whatnot. But those two yeah. are definitely high up on my list. Yeah, great books. I remind everybody you can find links to these books on Tony's show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just go to CarsYow.com, type in Tony Callas, C-A-L-L-A-S. That page will pop right up. All right, Tony, we're up to the checkered flag here. This last question can be a bit of a doozy. I'm going to buy you any cool, fun collector car on the planet and park it in your shop for you to enjoy. But there are some rules to this game that you have to abide by. You have to drive it. No garage queens here. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. So if you pick the most expensive Porsche, don't expect to get rid of it. You're going to have to live with it. And it's the only one collector car. This is the hard one for you because you don't like to give up cars. 
You can only have one gold collector car. I'm, see, I'm simplifying your life. I'm going to make this so much easier for you. What is it going to be? You know, it's funny when you said we're at the checkered flag. That just resonates with me so much. You know, I ran Le Mans four times and did all this racing in Europe and the U.S. And when you said that, I was like, ah, breath of breath, you know, okay, (laughs) we can calm down. Uh, So it really means something to me. Uh, This is not difficult because what I do is I look back at, I just bought a 52 bug. And the reason why I did is I wanted to go back to the origins of Porsche. And that's the oldest bug I can afford. And, and, uh, but I would have to say probably an original, like a 48 bug. And, you know, there's no creature comforts but it's raw and it's direct. It's got cable breaks and the transmission's not synchronized, but it's not all about ease of use. If that was the case, we would buy a new car. And I love the idiosyncrasies and what you deal with to make the machine work. So the man-machine interface, I guess you could say, is what plays into that. It'd have to be, uh, being a Porsche guy would have to be probably one of the first bugs because Dr. Porsche did that. Wow. Yeah, you threw me with this one, too. That is not <laughs> what I would expect from you. That is really funny. Uh, but I get it. I get it being a Porsche guy. You know, I mean, I think back to that car McGee I had. I called it my poor man's Porsche. Um, I've had a bunch of 911 since and a 914. I've loved them all. That's a tough question, too, because having to pick just one car, but I get it. With you, I get it. So, okay, I'll let it slide by. So, I'll get to work on that old 48 bug. That'd be pretty darn cool. There's a guy who lives across the tree from me, Bruce. He's Rockwell. He's a great guy. He used to have a beautiful 356. He's got a, I think his bug is a 57 or 58. And every once in a while, I'll see him take it out and drive by the window. And I'm usually doing a show, so I want to run out and go, I want to go with you. I want to go with you. But uh, there's something very lovely about those very old, slow cars that just, it just slows everything down. You know, you can just slow way down. You don't have to worry about going fast and just put the string back gloves and enjoy. So I will get to work. I think that'd be very nice. Tony, you've taken me on a great ride today. want to thank you for calling in, spending some time with us today. Thanks for sharing your life. Could you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the California sunset in that 48 VW book? I have to tell you, when I was seven, I went to my mother. I had all these questions. And one was, gosh, should I be a policeman? Should I be a fireman? Because that's what, you know, boys want to be. And uh, she goes, Anthony, your job is 70 to 80% of your life. And her, her, what I've never forgotten is she said, do what you love and the money will follow. And that's what I stuck with. That's what you should do. That's what everybody should do. That's what Karja is all about inspiring automotive enthusiasts together. I hope we've inspired some of you listeners today to go out and do just that. Find a way to make a living. Don't chase the Almighty dollar. Find a way to make a living doing what you enjoy. You'll be so much happier. I've got 1,445 guests now that can prove it. What's the best way for people to learn more about you and your business? How should they follow you? You know, I know a lot of people aren't on Facebook, but I definitely post a lot daily on what we're doing. You've seen it, Mark. And um, I do also have, it's not really fancy. I have a YouTube page, T Callis, that I say, hey, hey, that's a cool thing you're working on right there. One of my texts is something everybody needs to know about. And I'll run up with the iPhone and I'll just start videotaping. So it's not fancy, but you get to see what we deal with on the cars. Awesome. Great. I'll make sure I put links to those. Uh, make sure, well, I already follow you, so I already know. And we know you follow me now because you see what I've been posting. So mm-hmm. uh, got that that nice car McGee. I got to find some more pictures of that car. I just don't, you know, it's pre-digital. I don't have that many, but uh, I'll dig through some more boxes. Tony, thanks again for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, 
This has been really fun talking with you. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. I've enjoyed this so much. I have put this off and I shouldn't have because I really enjoy speaking with you, Mark. I've met you a few times. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to all our listeners for listening in today. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!